0: Well, good morning. My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here, and uh, happy Thanksgiving week to all of you. I'm excited. We're going to have a few people share some testimonies towards the end of the sermon here. And then you notice the baptism tank here behind me, the kettle trough, which we baptize people in. Uh, we are going to have a baptism during the second service. So just during the second service, Ada Lubers is going to be baptized, one of, one of our family members. Um, and so if you would like to see that, you'll have to stick around for the second service to see that, as that's going to happen during that worship gathering. Before I get going this morning on our text for today, could you open up to page 794 in the Pew Bible? Or if you're using your own Bible or your phone, it's Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah chapter 2, page 794 in the Pew Bible. Zechariah chapter 2, and when you find Zechariah chapter 2, look at verse 13, the last sentence of that chapter. Here's the instruction from the prophet Zechariah to God's people. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has aroused himself from his holy dwelling. Let's start this morning with just a moment of being silent before the Lord. we ask that you would move from your holy dwelling this morning and make your presence known to us. You are here. You are present. You reside. You dwell within your people. Your people are the temple of the living God. But Lord, I'm desperate for you to to make me painfully aware of that this morning. How often I forget that your presence is, is in me. That you, Christ, the hope of glory, dwell within me, and the very presence of the living God is within me. And how often I forget it is in this people. And as we gather, Lord, there ought to be this incredible experience of you because you are multiplied by the people who are here. And so, Lord, I ask that you would silence our own mind. Lord, as this Zechariah passage goes on to chapter 3 to, to remind us that Satan is our accuser and he, he lies to us and he accuses us and he throws accusations at us, I ask that you would silence him. God, I ask that you would silence our, our flesh and our fleshly cravings that we may hear from you that we may experience you, that we may become a people and a place of peace as you set up your dwelling among us. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus precious, holy sufficient name, amen. well life, life is hard and heavy, is it not? I mean I'm, I'm painful painfully aware of this fact as I get up to preach this morning that within this gathering of people, there are so many stories of suffering and struggling and just heartache. From health diagnosis that that aren't what you wish, to just the daily battle with your own flesh, with your own sin, to jobs that keep falling through, to frustration in life. Life is heavy and it is hard. And the pace of life here in America is hurried And we are all hurting in some way or another. And so as we've been studying the book of Haggai, we've been asking the question, how do we become a people and a place of peace? How do we as a church family, how do we experience the peace of God together? And how do we create such a space, such a gathering that people could walk in and sense something different? And this is really hard to comprehend because we, we know that the people, the people of God are how are how the world experienced the peace of God. It's not ultimately in a place. But we have this place that we come and we gather in, and how if we, the people of God, are hurting ourselves, if we're struggling ourselves, if last week we talked about how we all feel dirty and disobedient, if, if that's true of us, how in the world are we supposed to experience the peace of God, and how is the world supposed to experience the peace of God when they enter into our fellowship if we ourselves are hurting, and life is hard, and we're carrying these heavy burdens. And so we've been looking at the book of Haggai asking the question, how do we become a people in a place of peace? A little review. The first week as we looked at Haggai chapter 1, we saw that we become a people in a place of peace. All of these Ps are getting me screwed up. By shifting our priority from gratifying self to glorifying God. See, in our flesh, and I love this, this passage from Zechariah here, it says, be silent, all flesh, because our flesh tends to lie to us, our fleshly cravings, what our eyes see, what, what we want in the moment. It lies to us, and it deceives us, and it pulls us away from eternal things. And so week one, as we looked at the book of Haggai, Haggai chapter one, we saw that we, become, we increasingly become a people in a place of peace as we shift our priority from self to God. The reality is all of us in our flesh, we want to gratify self. We want, we, we want what we want, and we want it now. We want instant gratification. We want self-gratification. And so if we're going to grow into the things that God has for us, we need to learn how to exchange our own gratification for the glory of God. Week, week two, we looked at Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, and we saw that if we're going to grow as a people in a place of peace, we do this by looking to the future and living in the present rather than longing for the past. We see that play out very clearly in Haggai chapter 2 verses 1 through 9. That the people when they were lacking God's pieces because they were looking to the past and longing to have a, an experience similar to what they had in the past. Rather than embracing what, was God, what God was doing here and now. And then looking to the future, looking to his promises, what he will do in the future. And then last week we looked at Haggai chapter 2 verses 10 through 19 and saw that if we want to become a people in a place of peace, we do this by receiving God's holiness and responding in obedience. That God actually declares us as holy. He actually says you are set apart. You are clean. Though you feel dirty, though your flesh lies to you and you feel dirty and your accuser, look back at Zechariah chapter 3. I just love this passage. We're not preaching Zechariah, but I love this passage. Zechariah chapter 3, if you were here last week, you remember this scene. Joshua, the high priest, the pope, if you will, of that day, he's standing before the Lord, and Satan is there to accuse him, and he says, you are dirty. Satan is there trying to accuse him, and and Joshua, the high priest, in fact, is guilty of sin. He's unholy, he's unclean, and God declares him clean. He says, remove his filth, remove his guilt, remove his shame. And give him instead a robe of righteousness, place pure clothes on him. And so God declares us when we come to him in Christ, God declares us as holy. Regardless of how your flesh feels, regardless of what your accuser tells you, God declares you as holy in Christ. And then we respond in obedience as this is a spirit-stirred obedience. We see this in the book of Haggai as the Lord speaks. If you flip back to Haggai, you see in Haggai chapter 1 verse 14, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Joshua. The Lord stirred up the spirit of the people. And then if you move into Haggai chapter 2 verses 4 and 5, it tells us God is commanding his people, be strong, work, work, For I am with you. My spirit is with you. And so we respond in obedience by God's spirit working within us. That's what we've covered the last three weeks. And today, one more week with the book of Haggai, I want to look at Haggai chapter chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. So I'm going to ask you to stand as I read these three verses. Haggai chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. The word of the Lord came... A second time to Haggai, on the 24th day of the month, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the the thrones of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms, of the nations, and overthrow the chariots and the riders, and the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother." On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheatil, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. So as we come to week four, the last study in the book of Haggai. Here's the big idea for these three verses here is that we become a people and a place of peace by living for the eternal kingdom of God rather than the temporary kingdoms of earth. We become a people and a place of peace by living for the eternal kingdom of God rather than living for the temporary kingdoms of earth. This is exactly what God is getting at here in this passage. He's reminding the people that although he has called Israel, his people, back into Jerusalem, They're rebuilding the city. They're rebuilding their temple. They're reestablishing their nation. He's reminding them that they can't live for the temporary kingdoms of earth. At this time, they're underneath Persian rule. And so they're rebuilding and reestablishing Jerusalem, but they're still underneath the rule of the Persians. And so there's some oppression by the Persians, and there's some control by the Persians. And God's people, Israel, has experienced pressure And conflict with surrounding nations for their entire history. If you remember, these are the people who were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years until God led them out. And actually, God alludes to that here in this passage. When he says in verse 22, and the horses and the riders shall go down, Uh, I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms, in the, the top part of verse 22 and overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses and their riders shall go down, every one of them by the sword of his brother. That's, that's a picture to when God overthrew Egypt, when they were chasing the Israelites, and God parted the Red Sea, and God's people, Israel, walked through the Red Sea on dry ground, and then Egypt followed, and the Red Sea caved down on them. That's an illusion there. God is reminding his people that the kingdoms of earth can never be trusted. He is saying, I'm about to shake the heavens And the earth, and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. See, the the history of the world is earthly kingdoms in conflict, earthly kingdoms at war, and people trusting their kingdom or or putting their hope in their kingdom, in their nation, in their president, in their government to protect them and to to care for them, and, and governments falling and governments rising up. If you think about the history of the world, Think about all of the great empires, all the great nations of the world. What happened to the Babylonian Empire who dragged Israel off into exile? They were conquered by the Persians. What happened to the Persian Empire? They were conquered. What happened to the Roman Empire that was ruling during the time of the New Testament? They lasted for about 1,500 years, but ultimately they were conquered. What happened to the Ottoman Empire or the Mongol Empire or any empire? What is sure to happen to, I don't even know if we can consider America an empire, but what is going to happen to our nation and to our perceived power in the world scene over the last few generations? Well, do do we place our trust in that? We ought not to because the history of the world shows us that these kingdoms, these nations always fall. That if our hope is in the temporary kingdoms of earth, whether that be the government or whether that be your own little control and rule, your own individual kingdom, that, that if I can just organize my life in such a way and if, I can, if we can have the right people in power that will allow me to organize my life in such a way, then, then I can raise my kids in the right way and I can have the right kind of job and I can live in the right kind of neighborhood and I can create this... This, this perfect little environment for me to raise my kids in a way that I want to raise my kids and that I can live my life in the way that I want to live my life and I can get such a job that, that will provide the things that I can buy a cabin and get away on the weekends and, and I can build this little life, this little kingdom for me. And here, Haggai is reminding us, God is reminding us through the prophet of Haggai that the kingdoms of earth... Whether we're talking about the political powers, the political kingdoms, the nations of the world, or our own little kingdoms that we establish, that they are all temporary and shakeable. God says, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. He used this phrase before in Haggai chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. I look back at verse 6 and 7. He says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while I will shake the heavens and And the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of the nations shall come in, and I will fill my house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. So, last time he used this phrase, it was that he would shake the nations of the world so that the silver and the gold, the resources of the world, would come in to rebuild the temple. Because the temple was a sign of the everlasting presence of God. The temple wasn't even everlasting, the temple was temporary. There were two temples that Jerusalem had, the first temple, which was greater than the second temple, and then the second temple, but ultimately that was, that was torn down by Nero in the first century. See, things, kingdoms, things that we build, buildings that we build, lives that we build, nations that we build, world powers that we trust are always temporary. Temporary. And God is saying, so he said, I will shake the nations to rebuild this temple. And then here at the end of chapter 2, he says, I will shake the nations once again. He's reminding them of how he delivered them from the Egyptians when when he freed them from the Egyptians. And he's reminding them that in this season of life, they're not to fix their eyes on what's temporary. The temple that they're rebuilding. The rebuilding of their holy city. See, see, God's people were tempted to think, if we get our temple rebuilt, if we get our city walls reconstructed, if Zerubbabel, who was the governor because they were underneath Persian rule, Darius was the king, and we're told that in the book of Haggai, God's people were tempted to think, if, if we become powerful enough again where rather than Zerubbabel being a governor appointed by Darius, if Zerubbabel becomes the king, we will be back on top. And we'll be able to trust our own security. We'll be able to trust our own safety. We will be able to, to conquer the world. We will be able to execute God's peace from the top down. But Zerubbabel never became king, Israel never got back to that place. There's something different at play here. God says, On that day, I, I will shake the nations. What day? What day is he talking about? He says, On that day, verse 23, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, The son of Sheateel declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord. The signet ring is this sign of a king. It's a a ring that a king had. And also they had a signet seal, which would it was the seal of the king. And so here God is using this imagery from the Old Testament that the Jews would have known. That this means that God is going to raise up Zerubbabel as the king. Once again, he's gonna reign. We're gonna be in power. We are gonna be the world power. But that never happened. What, what God is getting at here, what this prophecy is getting at here, is that there's going to be an unending kingdom of God that is grassroots, it's bottom up, it's not top down. Zerubbabel will not become the king in the way that, that we think of a king, and in the way that God's people longed for a king. Zerubbabel, will, God will reestablish Zerubbabel in the line of David, the promised king of the Old Testament, the great king of the Old Testament. And in this line, in David's line, in the line of Zerubbabel will come the Messiah, Jesus the king. God here is promising that he has chosen Israel and from this nation he will bless all of the nations of the earth with peace. He will bring peace on earth. But it's pointing to this coming Messiah, not to an earthly king who will reign from the top down, but this this God-man king who will reign from bottom up. He's saying, trust this this underground kingdom, this upside-down kingdom, this kingdom that doesn't have boundaries based off of oceans and seas and walls and territories and borders. This kingdom that, that isn't, isn't about a skin color or isn't about a language or isn't about trade barriers or ports. This kingdom is an international kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's a kingdom where Jews and Gentiles alike will come and worship together, where they will serve together, and it will last forever. Some people take this This prophecy to to that it took shape when Jesus was crucified. Remember, he was raised up on a cross. He wore a crown, not an elegant crown, a crown made of thorns. Do you remember the sign that was above him? Jesus, King of the Jews. It was a sign of mockery. Because a king doesn't die on a cross, a king sits on a throne. But this is the kingdom that Jesus was establishing, this upside-down kingdom, this kingdom where, where we serve, where we love, where we care for others, not where we use our power to get what we want, but we lay down our power to serve those who are weak. God tells his people here that if you want to experience my peace, and if you want to become a place of peace for the nations of the world It's not about you. It's not about your kingdom. It's not about your church. It's not about your home. It's not about your friends. It's not about your family. It's not about you making the most of what you can make of your little kingdom. It's about joining this eternal upside-down kingdom where you lay down your life for the good of others. Verse 23, on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring. I will make you like the king. I will reestablish my kingly line through you, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. And now flip over to Matthew chapter 1. It's just a few pages to the right. As we enter into the Advent season, keep this in mind. We're actually going to be studying the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 starting next Sunday. But look at this link here between Haggai and Matthew chapter 1. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, Abraham, the guy who, who God called out of nowhere and said, I will make you a great people and I will make your nation great so that you can be a blessing to the nations. And then David, the great king of Israel, It was prophesied and promised that the Messiah would come in the line of King David. So here the genealogy in Matthew picks this up and then jump down to verse 12. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheatil. Remember that name, Sheatil, from Haggai? And Sheatil, the father of Zerubbabel. jump down to verse 16, and this this genealogy continues. So Sheetil is the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Idu. and keep going, I'm not going to read through all the names, get to verse 16, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ, the Messiah. You see the link there, God's promise in Haggai chapter 2 at the end in verse 23. Isn't that he's going to raise up Zerubbabel as this earthly king to rule from top down. It's that he's going to reestablish his promise, his covenant with Israel. And from the line of Zerubbabel is going to come the true king, the Messiah, the servant king, the one who will lay down his life and this kingdom is open to all who would trust and follow him. Church, that's how we become a people in a place of peace. It's by laying down our agenda for God. It's by laying down our life for his. And actually, it's not by us laying down our life for his. It's that he laid down his life for us so that we could enter this kingdom. And we say, here I am. I'm your servant. I I will follow you, King Jesus. I will bend my knee to you, King Jesus. This kingdom has been growing for thousands of years, so much so that the, the newest rap album to hit number one is titled Jesus is King. I'm not going to make any comments about that. Who knows? If that's genuine or not. But it's amazing that, that a, a culture that normally isn't talking about Jesus as king and a, a music genre that normally isn't talking about Jesus being king is now saying Jesus is king. This is the upside-down kingdom, church, that we've been invited into. We experience the peace of God when we follow the man of God, Jesus Christ. Amen? So that's how we grow as a people in a place of peace. We've been talking about a building campaign, and and we would love for you to prayerfully consider how to be a part of this. We think that we could renovate our building to create a, a greater space for us to experience the peace of God. But ultimately, keep this in mind, church. The peace of God doesn't come from if we take down some walls and we make a great space for us to fellowship in a secure and safe place for our kids. It doesn't come from us building a comfortable kingdom in a church. It comes from us laying down our desires for the kingdom of God. And we believe that God is leading us in this way, not for our own desires, not for our own kingdom as a church, but for his kingdom, that those who are around us, within a three-mile radius of our building, 102,000 hurting and hurt people, who need to experience the freedom of following King Jesus. And so we invite you into this. As we wind down this sermon series on the book of Haggai, I've asked a couple of people to just come and give testimonies of how they've experienced the peace of God here at Park Community Church. So we're going to transition to a time of testimony now. And Melanie, could we start with you? Perfect. There she is. So, this is Melanie Payne. I will tell you everyone's names and then you can just go. I have the questions there if you need them and go for it. Okay. Is that the right height? How's that? <laughs>
1: That's better. Perfect. Uh, hi, I'm Melanie and um, I've been at Park for f- four years. Um, I actually came here because of road construction the first time. Um, <laughs> I was just out of college and I'd been going to um, a big um, mega church during college and I did not have any friends there or otherwise, and I really needed people, so I had been driving on Minnetonka Boulevard past uh, St. Louis Park Evangelical Free Church every day, and one Sunday I just decided to check it out, and I stayed because the service was good. I have no idea what was preached, Um, but I was also invited into community on day one, and that was something I was craving and I really needed at that point in my life. Um, and so a time that I experienced peace, um, the peace of God here, um, actually starts, um, with me not experiencing any peace at all. I was very uncontent, um, and it was January of 2018, and I was super unfocused in just all parts of my life. I couldn't get anything done, and looking back, I know that that was the conviction of the Holy Spirit, really feeling a lot of guilt and um, conviction for multiple sins, and one of the biggest things was that I, my best friend at that point had just gone through a divorce um, at age 23, not something I had really ever expected in my life for me or for her, and I, instead of being a good Christian friend and loving her through that really horrible time of her life, I had been super judgmental to her and just really been a bad friend and a bad example of Jesus, and I um, so January, multiple people here asked me, are you okay? Because things just seemed off. And at that point, I just lied to my friends and said, oh, no, I'm, I'm fine. Um, but people kept asking me. And in February, Mark actually preached on Hebrews 3. And it really convicted me and made me realize I had to do something about the sin that God was convicting me of. And so the verses that really stuck out to me were um, Hebrews 3, 11 and 12, and it says, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And I was just very convicted that day um, of the hardness of my own heart and how I had distanced myself from not only my best friend, but also from God um, by holding on to my pride and my self-righteousness. Um, and so I kind of fell apart over here after service with my friend Marissa, and she walked me through it and was able to help me figure out all the things i had been feeling and um, later that week I actually saw my friend and I apologized to her and asked for her forgiveness and she was such a better person than I was and accepted that apology and forgave me so easily. Um, and through that i was able to experience again the peace of god and peace with him and with my friend Um, and so i tell that story because it was the holy spirit convicting me um through personal work and also through the preaching here as well as good friends who were able to stick through me through um, thick and thin and through that i was able to experience god's peace thanks melanie
0: I'm gonna call Joel and Lauren Shirlow up and you are next. Go a little bit taller for Joel. Oh, go back down. You can pull it off too if that's easier.
2: Hi, we're, I'm Lauren, Joel. Um, we started coming to Park about a little over a year ago, probably like September of last year. Um, so we moved from Oklahoma for a job that Joel decided to take. Um, had never been to the state of Minnesota before, so it was a really big transition and um, we had no friends or family here. So we knew that we wanted to find a church pretty quickly and get involved uh, with a community group. And so um, we, Joel had actually reached out to uh, Antioch. He, they were part of the X-29 network and our church back in Oklahoma had also been a part of X-29. And so he had talked with someone there and um, we ended up not living anywhere near Antioch. So when we asked them where, where else could we look, they suggested park and We tried out a couple other churches and then came here and um, just right away felt welcomed and that we were part of a family. Um, We enjoyed the smaller, just the smaller congregation and the fact that we could serve here. And um, what else? (laughs) I'm blinking.
0: I mean, I think just in general, because both our families are Texas and Oklahoma, it just, Park has surrounded us just being our family here. We got acclimated here. We didn't know culturally,
3: like climate. There's a lot of things that we had to get used to. So I feel like um,
0: just in general, Park has surrounded us, um, just given us um, just the feeling of peace and knowing that we're meant to be here. We have family that's serving us. Um, and just around us between different community groups, helping us move, um, having meals for Breck when he was born, so just a number of ways that we feel like Park has given
3: us
2: peace. Um, Sorry, public speaking is not my thing in front of people. Mine Um, mine either. Yeah. (laughs) Um, something I was going to say is, so the first Sunday we came, I grabbed like one of the community group pamphlets, knowing that we wanted to get involved quickly. Um, and I had gone and circled which ones would work for us. And we happened to sit, I don't know if the Madsons are here this morning, but Sarah and Tim sat right in front of us and Sarah turned around and said, hi. And then we made a connection that she had gone to school in Oklahoma and we were like, oh my gosh. And then she said, well, we're in a community group. Um, It's this one that meets, you know, on this day at this time. And it was, like, the one that I had circled and starred as this one would probably work best for us. And so I think right away that was just, like, God's, you know, piece of we're supposed to be here. Um, This is where he wants us. And, yeah, it's just it's been a great place for us to be.
0: I'm alright. I was I was reading the yeah we're good. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> appreciate you guys. I'm gonna call up Betty next. Betty sour.
4: <laughs> you wanna keep it on there? Well, when when Andrew asked me if I would share today, I kind of I thought, this is my family, so how can I not do it? So, but I want to give you just a little bit of background. I've attended here since the fall of 1981. Now, there are several people here who have been here much longer than that, but for me, that's a long time. Um, and I want to give you a little bit of my background. I grew up on a farm in rural Minnesota and lived on a farm as long as, until I was finished with high school. and then I lived in several different small towns in Minnesota in rural Minnesota, and um, attended various evangelical free churches, so that's really kind of my background. Um, <coughs> excuse me. and um, I moved to this area, to to the Twin Cities, because of a job offer a couple years before I came here, a year or two before I came here. But I moved to St. Louis Park because my employer had opened an office in St. Louis Park, and it just seemed sensible to live in this area, so that's why I moved here. Um, I was still making that transition from country girl to city life, so um, I was a divorced woman with five children who were all out on their own at that time, so they did not move with me. But just a mile or so from my house was St. Louis Park Evangelical Free Church, and I came here, and I really just was adopted here I never even looked at other churches. Um, I was accepted, I was loved, I was respected, and I was served by this church. And that was really important to me. And not only was I served, but I was given the, the ability and the permission to serve as well, and so I over the years, I've taught Sunday school classes, I've worked with missionaries, I've done various other things, and that, that has been a real blessing to me as well. Um, but I have to say, life in St. Louis Park has not always been perfect. We've had some issues over the years, and... Um, some difficult times, and my my children have said to me, well, why don't you go somewhere else? Why don't you find another church? But I always felt this was my family, and I wanted to stay here, so that's why I am still here. Originally, I was skeptical about the merger with City Vision Church. I thought, oh, is that a good idea? I'm not sure about that. But that has certainly changed, and I am so uh, pleased and blessed by all the children and young people and young families and others who have newcomers who have come here. That has been a real blessing to me, and I, I really enjoy gradually getting to know these folks, you folks and others. And, um, so I, I also want to thank our current staff and leadership and, and volunteers at Park Community Church for how they display God's love and his um, care for us in all that we do and to each one of us. And in conclusion, I just have to read this um, little verse from Psalm ninety two fourteen. They still bear... Fruit in old age, they are ever full of sap and green. (laughs) Thank you.
0: I should have saved you for the closer, Betty. We have two more still. Rob, you are next. Yeah, Rob. Travis, you're going to have to be that. You're, you're the closer.
5: Well, hi, I'm, I'm Rob Giannotti, and I'm actually one of the newcomers that Betty was talking about there. So if you don't recognize me yet, you know I've been here for about, about five months, coming to a, a park community church. And it was actually an interesting thing. I was invited by someone who doesn't actually go here. So the first time I came, it was one of those things where I had no idea exactly what to expect. But uh, the the circumstances kind of right before I started coming to this church where I really can appreciate what you mentioned about how times can be hard and heavy, you know, just throughout life. And and uh, the church I've been going to for for 12 years in south Minneapolis called The Rock, it actually had closed its doors. And so I was kind of at a place where I really fully invested in the church and had lots of friends there, all the community groups, lots of things that, just are a part of the life that we're talking about, you know, that you want to have, you know, in church and in the Lord, and so there's a real place of just wondering what's next, you know, and wondering, you know, well, Lord, what do you have for me now? You know, and I think it can be really easy, too, to fall into that place of, oh, it's never going to be as good as it once was. You know, it just, it was great there, but, you know, now I'm in the wilderness, you know, Where what do I do, you know, here? And so, so coming to Parkland for the first time, I didn't really know at that point that they tend to be coming here a few minutes after the service starts. So I kind of got here, you know, a few minutes, maybe five minutes before. And so I went and sat in one of the pews, and it was basically, like, empty. So I'm like, oh, dear. <laughs> so then then uh, Kurt came over, one of the guys that plays the guitar up here. Kurt came over in and just introduced himself. And we talked for maybe five or ten minutes, and it was just so good. It was so good to uh, just feel the friendliness that he had, you know, and the warmth of of invitation but also just a good good conversation of knowing that okay he's in a hard coming out of a hard spot, you know. Right now. And and I think he just came alongside me really well right then. Well the next week I didn't see Kurt, but I sat down and listened to the service, enjoyed it, and uh, Mike and Linda were sitting right in front of me and they turned around and then we started engaging and talking and I really just felt felt the peace of the Lord through what they, just what they were sharing and them of course, listening to you know where where I'd been from and what it, what had gone on before coming here, and just knowing that you know they have a real similar background of, of mission and and outreach, and so I right away latched onto that as well. And so each of the weeks, then I kept running into a new person that just was totally warm. Got to got to enjoy the uh, the barbecue series, you know, that over the summertime, and met uh, Francis and another fellow Wayne, and then just all along time, you know, always being just really open and, and, and very welcoming, so I'm very thankful, you know, that to once again not just think, okay, it's not, the love of God isn't left in the past, you know, it's, it's right here, you know, today, and so the verse that kind of came to mind was, I'll let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, and that's something I feel really happens here, so, so thanks a lot, thanks for welcoming me.
0: Melanie and the Sherlows, sorry that we weren't ready to clap yet after you guys. It took like a couple of people to warm up the clapping, but you guys did just as well. <laughs> Travis, you're last. And Travis is representing his family this morning, and his daughter is the one being baptized second service, so yeah, she'll stick around.
3: Later. I'm not going to be able to uh, do as good as Betty, right? But um, I'm probably just going to borrow words from everyone because I think that a lot has already been said that's important. But our family, we have been going here for 18 years. Uh, Karen and I got married in 2001 and um, we had both been going to different churches. Um, she graduated college that year, I had already been working for a year, and we needed to make a new life together, right? Um, and so we started uh, shopping for churches. Uh, didn't go too many places before we found um, Park Community. I do remember one other church we went to, they gave us a mug. We still have that mug. It t- it's taken 18 years to get a Park mug, though. So. Uh, <laughs> We have gotten those. Um, But like Melanie said, we experienced community on day one. I think that's the key, and I think I've heard a little bit of that in everyone's. Um, Margaret Dake... Some of the old-timers here are going to remember her. She greeted us uh, the first time we were here, right as we opened the door, just like you know, Jim and Bob and those guys do now. And she recognized that we were new. We probably had a blank, you know, kind of confused look on our face. And she took us under our wing, showed us around, talked to us, introduced us to people, um, got us settled in the pew for the service. And then after the service, there was a church picnic that day. And invited us to the church picnic. Here we are. You know, I'm not going to turn down free food. And so we did. We went, we went to the picnic where we met more people. I met the Gullivers. I met the Bombergs. I met uh, all sorts of people. And I think we were hooked then. Um, and it wasn't. even then, it wasn't an easy time in the church. We never heard the senior pastor, who was the senior pastor at the time, uh, preach, ever. He was off in New York after 9-11. Um, and, you know, there were some troubled times. Don't need to go into it. But he never preached here again. Um, but we were still family here. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I got involved in the youth group. I got, uh, involved in a men's group, which was the men, male leaders of the youth group. And we really just got pulled into fellowship, uh, deeply and quickly. Um, and I didn't know before I was going to come up here, which of the answers I was going to give for how have you experienced the peace I got at Park. I think I'll, I'll lead off of, uh, kind of an experience of chaos, because Betty talked a little bit about the merger, which was a time more of sadness, kind of lamentation for this church. Um, But uh, with our youth group, something I was involved with for many years, um, there came a point where uh, we could not satisfy the needs of the community. And I was the leader at the time. Um, We had gone through some more turmoil, and we had lost a lot of leadership at the time. We'd lost volunteers who were critical in helping um, run that ministry. Uh, And we were making a huge impact in the community. Uh, We had a Wednesday night event called Super Supper, where we would offer free food to the community. Uh, We would open up the church to the community, whoever wanted to come in to eat at that meal. Um, And we were getting a lot of uh, high school age kids. Um, They were coming to play in the gym. They would play basketball. We would let them do that, and then we would invite them upstairs for a lesson. And it was it was a it was a really awesome time to see those kids coming in. We were reaching some of them, but it was also a really stressful, chaotic, uh, and also a pretty awful time for me um, because I was the only consistent leader. And uh, there was a night. Well, we were calling the cops every week because there were fights in the parking lot. There were uh, there was all sorts of turmoil. This was this was a rough crowd. Um, I didn't know that I could serve them. I didn't know how to serve them. I didn't have the resources here to, to lead that. I, I'm not that type of leader. I'm not, I don't really consider myself a leader. And here I was responsible for this group of kids every week. Uh, I was stressed. I was, uh, oh yeah, I was just rough. Um, <laughs> but like in week two, um, you live in the present, right? And you look to the future. And I think in all of these rough times, I've trusted in that. That God's got a plan and He's going to um, He's going to act on that plan, and He did. And it's amazing. I've got more stories I think I could tell, but in this, um, that's actually why Treehouse is upstairs right now, is because the pastor at the time, Bob Amos, had contacts with them, and we talked to them, and we we shared what I just shared. Is we can't serve these kids, we're not able to do and work with the opportunity that's been given to us. And we invited them in, and that and God fulfilled His promise to to meet um, that group uh, through us basically handing it off to people who were able to do it, um, which was rough. But um, yeah, that was he, he showed us His promise right then and there, uh, and He's done that through several other things. And then my, my other question's not on here. <laughs> so uh, Andrew did ask me an answer for another question, which I guess no one else got because. I'm the only one who has a child getting baptized here. He asked me to say, what does it mean to have your uh, children baptized here at Park? Um, it means a lot. Uh, uh, like Betty said, this is our family. It has been since day one. Uh, and I, I pray for my kids every day. My mom has always prayed for me every day. I don't know what she prays, but what I pray for my kids every day always has at least two elements. It's that they will follow God and that he will grant them wisdom. Uh, and... To see my children uh, choose to be baptized here tells me that he is answering that prayer and he is doing it here within this community and that this is their family
0: as well. That's awesome. Thank you, Travis. So in the book of Haggai, chapter 2, verse 9, God says, and in this place I will give peace. I believe that God has answered that promise. He's speaking to the temple in part there in Jerusalem, but he's ultimately looking forward to his people. He's saying, where my people are, I am in their midst, and in that place I will give peace. And so I want to thank you, church, for being a people of peace so that people who just shared and the many of you who are out there could experience God's peace in this place as we gather So as we do every week here at Park Community Church, we're just going to respond to the gospel, to the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done, that he's our king, that he has made a way, that he is the very peace of God here with us today. We're going to respond to that truth with communion and with singing, singing the gospel. So I'm going to invite the worship team back up, and they're going to lead us in music, songs that reflect the gospel, songs that declare the gospel. And when you feel led and ready, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, The elements are here for you. The bread represents Jesus' body broken for you. The the cup represents his blood shed for you. That by Jesus, we have been made at peace with God. Peace, it means shalom. That's the Hebrew word. It means wholeness, complete. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been made whole and complete with God. That's what we celebrate, church. That's why we worship. That's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus has done. So when you feel led and ready, come and take communion and be reminded that Jesus is your peace. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Melanie's story and for Joel and Lauren's story and for Betty's story and for Rob's story and for Travis and the whole Luber's family's story. Lord, and for every story here. Lord, we're all at different places today. Some of us come in and we're new and we're desperately longing for a church community, a church to call family. And some of us have been here so long we're sick of the family. And some of us have been here just the right amount of time where we don't know that we're gonna be sick of the family. Lord, we're all at different places. Some on the mountaintops, some in the deepest depths of the valley, and some are somewhere in between. And Lord, I pray that you would meet each one of us where we're at this morning. Lead us to where you desire us to be in your presence where there are pleasures forevermore, fullness of joy, and unending peace. Lord, thank you, Jesus, for making peace between us and God by giving of yourself. We celebrate that this morning for your glory, for our good, and the advancement of your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.